Quasi Adolfo Mensa. Ben, that's how we'll start this episode of the Access Vikings podcast, because people are going to have to know how to pronounce the name of the next Vikings general manager. Uh, the official or the announcement has not yet come, but we are awaiting that announcement and get a chance to talk to him. The Vikings made the hire, bringing in the former Browns uh, vice president of football operations for the past two years under Andrew Barry in Cleveland. Probably the most unconventional general manager, manager hire that has been made uh, in the NFL so far, but it really represents a growing wave that we'll talk about here. So, Ben, um, how unconventional is this hire? And just off the top, how stark of a direction change is this for the Minnesota Vikings? Uh, it's fairly unconventional and fairly stark. I mean, you go from Rick Spielman, sort of the dyed-in-the-wool scout type, it, who is open to analytics and certainly they had moved in that direction over the last few years, but it was not an analytically driven front office, uh, data driven front office. I, I don't think people that work in data actually like the term analytics. So um, it was not, it was not leading that way and certainly was not going to go that way with Mike Zimmer as the head coach. You go from that to a guy who has spent about as much of his professional career on Wall Street as he has in the NFL. So um, what, what was the phrase that I don't remember who said it, but we heard the phrase something this year about the, the highest compliment you can give somebody is that he's a football guy. Didn't, didn't Zimmer say that or somebody say that about Zimmer? I don't remember that, but it doesn't surprise me in the slightest. I feel like we heard that quote come from somewhere during the 2021 Viking season. I don't think that football guy in the traditional sense of the term uh, would be used for Quasi Adolfo Mensa. Football guys would probably have a, a different word to use. Um, the word would be nerd, but I don't think that that is something that, I mean, that that's not going to fly because the Vikings have said, we are open to a different direction here. We are open to the quote unquote nerds. And I, this is the, I'm using it pejoratively and I'm not going to use it because I think it's overplayed. I think it's silly. Um, that, that is where the world is going. That is where a lot of other sports have gone to great success. So the NFL is going to head in this direction and the Vikings are as well. Now, the thing I will say is to suggest that they went into this entire process saying we want a GM who is going to lead with data. We don't want a traditional scout is probably not correct because they had a fairly wide net of different candidates ranging from uh, Monty Ossenfort from Laverne, Minnesota, you know, Patriots front office guy forever uh, worked in front offices for 20 something years, fairly traditional candidate in that sense. To Quasi uh, Adolfo Mensa, Catherine Raich, of course, becoming the first woman to interview for a GM job in NFL history. I, I think the thing you would say, it was a, a wide enough search that they left themselves open to whichever candidates were going to come to the front. And the two that they ended up liking the most were Adolfo Mensa and Ryan Poles, who ended up being the hot candidate of this GM cycle, was a finalist for three jobs, took the Bears job. Uh, before he got to Minnesota for his interview, and we can talk more about some of the behind the scenes with that, but you had two guys from fairly different backgrounds and the direction that they were going to go. I don't know that that was sort of written in the stars ahead of time, but 
the fact that they were open to it, I think is fairly significant in and of itself. While the days are getting shorter, the nights are getting brighter at the Minnesota Zoo. Welcome to the second annual Nature Illuminated, presented by Wings Financial Credit Union. This narrated drive-through experience will immerse you in an enchanting world of brilliant, oversized displays of your favorite zoo creatures, all illuminated in fantastical layers of light. This one-of-a-kind experience is truly wild, only at the Minnesota Zoo. December 2nd through January 16th. Reserve your tickets at mnzoo.org. Yeah, we should talk about and set up just kind of how we got to this point, because the Vikings had set up two finalist interviews. And at that point, we didn't know, was it just going to be those two? Were they going to be open to more? And Ben, from what you had heard, it seemed like they were open to the possibility of interviewing more people. But they set up those two interviews with Poles and Adolfo Mensa on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, Poles being on Wednesday. And Poles doesn't make it to it because he goes to Chicago on Tuesday, accepts the job there. Um, so they lose out on one of their finalists before they even get a chance to talk to him. So Ben, did they get their guy in Adolfo Mensa, or is it is it fair to even say whether or not they did because they didn't get a chance to talk to both of them? Well, yeah, I think we need to keep that in context, and they are going to say they got their guy. I mean, there's no question about it that they're going to say that. I'm not entirely sure that we can say that unequivocally, given uh, how much interest I, I believe they had in polls from what I've heard and given some of the circumstances. The Bears made it very, very clear uh, in all the ways that you can make it clear when you're offering a job that they wanted Ryan Poles. And I that from what I understand, that won out over where the Vikings were. But that is a little bit I mean, that factors into the process here. I think when you have a candidate that had as much interest as Ryan Poles did, you are not the only ones in play for him. Kwesi Adolfo Mensa had also talked to the Bears, and I think they were interested in him as well. But the Bears made it fairly clear that they wanted Ryan Poles, and uh, that you're not doing these things as the only ones in the market. So uh, that that did have an effect, I believe. And for them, I, I think they were – very high on Kwesi Adolfo Mensah. I heard he was incredibly impressive in his first interview. People spoke very well of him. I think they're going to be happy with how they went about this. But uh, yeah, it's not something where you can sit here on the first day of of uh, how this plays out and say, yep, there, there's no doubt, you know, this is an open and shut case that this is exactly what they wanted to do. This is exactly how they wanted it to go. There are other factors that we should consider as we try to parse through all of this. And I think it's important to note, too, that this is the first time that the Vikings really have done this. The Wilfs have really done this on their own because it was Rick Spielman who led the head coaching search in 2014. Um, Obviously, the one, too, that decided to keep Leslie Frazier after firing Brad Childress. Before that, they never had to go out there and hire somebody on their own. And then when they did, and bringing in a guy like Fran Foley, that didn't work out very well back in, I think it was 2007 or six or something like that. Um, so this has been a long time since they've had to do this. And so this is obviously an ownership group that came out and Mark Wilf said it on January 10th. We are going to be basically methodical. Quickly on the interview order stuff. I mean, you can, you can parse this either way. You can say, if this is your guy, you want the first one in there to be your number one candidate. Cause if you like him, then you say, this is our guy. We're going to, we're going to do it. We're not going to let him leave. I think that's what the bears did with Ryan Poles. Um, you could also say, let's talk to both of them and 
if we are sitting down with our top guy second and nobody has done anything to change our minds, then we are going to go with the guy that we liked the entire time at, you know, we can, we can debate all day where they were at. I, I think the Vikings had a lot of interest in Ryan Poles. I think the bears obviously had a uh, extraordinary amount of interest in Ryan Poles. Um, so, I mean, this is going to be one of these things that we watch for years because they're going to be competing against each other. These two different approaches of how to build a team uh, are going to be competing for uh, supremacy in the NFC North, very possibly just in the sense that the Green Bay Packers may be vacating their throne uh, going forward. That's not to say that the, we know that the Vikings or the Bears or the Packers or the Lions are going to be the, the standard bears for a long time, but uh, the division could be quite a bit more wide open given what may happen to the Packers here in the next few weeks and months. And uh, this whole discussion of these two guys is going to be fascinating to watch for a long time. Ryan Poles might be doing it with a quarterback in Justin Fields who Quasi's predecessor, Rick Spielman, let um, Ryan's predecessor, Ryan Pace, yes. two, two Ryans in Chicago. I guess only Ryans can lead there. But two anyway, Ryan's Rick and a Quasi. The tie with Justin Fields is what I'm getting at. Yeah, there's just so many crossroads, yeah, that kind of lead to where these franchises are at right now. It'll be fascinating to watch moving forward. But right now, the NFL's got three of its four opening general manager jobs filled. The only one unfilled at this point is in Las Vegas with the Raiders. But as you mentioned, Ben, Poles is a finalist for all three of those jobs, including Minnesota, and he doesn't end up here. But let's talk more about the guy they did get and Adolfo Mensa, who's a 40-year-old, we've heard enough about his background in terms of Wall Street and coming from there, but I found it interesting that he has started to at least add some scouting responsibilities in Cleveland the last couple of years. Um, from what I've heard and read from people, Andrew Barry gave him more pro scouting and college scouting responsibilities, and that was really just the first time he dipped his toe in the water um, of that side of things. So I'm curious, Ben, it sounds like the Vikings – are pretty confident in at least some of this college scouting that they've got going on right now yep. in the building that they would kind of put him in place to be the leader, the collaborator. And then it sounds like they might keep a lot of the rest of the stuff in place, at least for the 2022 off season. Yeah. And I, I think at this point, that's probably what you would have expected to happen, whether it was Adolfo Mensa or Ryan Pohl, simply because Changes in scouting ranks don't happen usually until after the draft. I mean, when when you hear about, and there was all of this talk last year with how many scouts was George Payton going to take with him to Denver. And it, it, and it in the end, I believe the only one he ended up taking was Kelly Klein. Um, but that stuff doesn't happen typically until after the draft because teams start their draft process. They already have uh, probably evaluated their roster and they're starting to make their their initial kind of pass through the draft class. The senior bowl, of course, is next week uh, down in Alabama. So you have a lot of these things that are already in place and having scouts move and shift teams and try to get acclimated and, and you know, find a different place to live in a different city, all this kind of stuff, um, especially the higher level scouts that are actually in the building. Some of these scouts can work for different teams and just put on a different hat and work in the same part of the country. But the ones that are higher level, you know, player personnel director types or college scouting directors that may need to live in one spot typically don't change before the draft because they are already kind of in their rabbit hole for the next three months. So 
yeah, I would expect the scouts stay for now. I think that would have happened either way. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch that going forward to see how much that department, the football department in general, changes as a result of this. It's my understanding, too, because the Vikings had four employees in their analytics department, as they called it, or research department. Before this, those four employees, to my understanding, are still there and were going to remain in place. But the point with that is that they had already somewhat embraced a little bit of this. So they weren't averse to it. Where I, From what I understand, the aversion in Minnesota when it came to analytics started at the head coach and yep. kind of permeated from there on the coaching staff. And so they had a hard time getting, and Ben, you've talked about, just when they approach him with the GPS data, been like, hey, this guy might need a break. And Mike Zimmer was not too receptive to that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, I, to the point where this year, when he talked about that he was open to it, I mean, he admitted this is hard for me to yeah. trust this. I mean, that that took a long time. That this year was not the first time he had been presented with that. So the the reluctance to um, kind of cede authority to data, I think, was um, was a struggle for him because it it requires you to say that my own eyes and my own sense of how this is supposed to work in my gut is not the ultimate authority and. Um, I think that's that's probably uh, not something we're going to see the next head coach do quite to the same degree. And that's important to know, right? Because I think when people that those buzzwords, you know, analytics, data, all that stuff gets thrown around, and not a lot of it gets detailed in sports writing of like what that actually means, like how yeah. it actually uh, manifests itself on the field. And for the Minnesota Vikings, for any NFL team, it's through that kind of GPS. One one way is through that kind of GPS tracking data where it's like, Hey, this guy has put on a lot of mileage, put on a lot of stress. His hamstrings are about to give out at this point, coach, let's not run him too hard on a Wednesday. And then Mike Zimmer might say, ah, what are you talking about? We practiced today. we got to play on Sunday. Or like no, a 40 we're... degree day in December when he's coming back from a hamstring injury yeah, or that too, or a guy coming off of injuries. Yeah. Coming off of injuries where it might say, Hey, you know, the numbers say we should probably do this or, you know, you know, the, the probabilities say, you know, we should probably mm -hmm. do this and the yeah. coach not being receptive of it. That stuff happened too often and cannot happen with whomever the 10th head coaches for the Minnesota Vikings, because it happened a lot and it happened more. I mean, we're hinting at it here and I, I wrote about it a little bit, but it happened a lot and we'll probably have more to say about it going forward, but it happened a lot. And so I'm, I'm curious now moving forward with the coaching search, the Wilfs say that the new GM will have input in the head coach. I say you should get out of his way and let him pick the next head coach because you need to make sure those guys are in lockstep. Yeah, you do, especially given the way that things ended with Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer. I mean, you any of these head coaching GM relationships over eight years can fracture. It's a long time to work together. It's a long time to kind of be in high stress, high ego jobs, high paying jobs and have everybody be on the same page on everything. I, I think that's probably hard to expect that that's going to hold up for any two people, but you have a, in a very, very unorthodox GM candidate here who is, whether you like it or not, whether it's fair or not going to get some pushback from the quote unquote football guys in the building. I, I think there's going to be some of that just for, because there are kind of these baked in um, biases or baked in kind of ways of doing things. I mean, the, the scene in Moneyball that, that everybody's going to talk about and 
Um, I bring it up here because I think it has some relevance just having been around enough people in, you know, covering both baseball and football over the years. Uh, there is th that divide that people talk about is a real thing. And of course the scene in Moneyball is where the scouts are sitting around and, um, you know, analyzing players based on, uh, well, he's his girlfriend, he's got an ugly girlfriend or something. And it means he's got no confidence. It's a bad sign. And, and Bill, uh, Brad Pitt is playing Billy Bean and he's just looking at these guys like, what are you talking about? He's, it says something like, guys, we're not trying to find jeans models here. We're trying to find baseball players that uh, it, it's not some mold that has to be met by some preconceived notion. What does the data tell us? So um, you're going to have to find coaches that are more open to different ways of evaluation than uh, I think you may see in a lot of places. I mean, the, the, the great irony of this is that Kwesi Adolfo Mensa comes from the front office that's probably been more uh, accepting or embracing of analytics than any in the NFL. And their head coach came from the Minnesota Vikings, of course, Kevin Stefanski. If, if he was here, I, you may have a great relationship. You may have a great um, setup there going forward. But yeah, they're going to have to find a coach that I think is more, at least more open to data in the overall decision-making process than we've seen in the past. Yeah, that's a good segue because I was just going to bring up the Cleveland Browns. They have six people in their research department that does not include their open-minded leaders when it comes to guys like Andrew Barry, their GM, uh, Paul DePodesta, their chief strategy officer. Played by Jonah Hill and Moneyball. Who came bring all <laughs> together. Exactly. Who came from that exact baseball world you were talking about, uh, as well as Adolfo Mensa, who was previously their VP of football operations. Those three leaders were overseeing or part of a leadership group overseeing a research department with six people. Few NFL teams have that many people assigned to data-driven research for NFL teams uh, like the Cleveland Browns have. And I did hear before Kevin Stefanski took that job in 2020, he had to tell ownership uh, and the leadership there that I am good and accepting of what you guys are doing here. It's going to be okay, even though I'm coming from a place, as you just said, Ben, where it always wasn't. I'm not um, my father's son, as it were. Basically, basically. So yeah. um, it, it just wasn't too surprising to me um, to see Kevin Stefanski do well, at least initially there in Cleveland with, before hitting some inevitable bumps in the road. But Kwesi, I should mention too, I wanted to pull up this quote. He was cited a couple, actually, this was before the draft last year. Yeah, when he first uh, went to the Browns. Yeah, I was talking about their process and he had just said basically, and, and this pinpoints what he's going to be looking for here. He says, it is extremely inclusive. Everybody from the coaching staff, the football operations, and the scouting staff is all united in what we are doing and how we are going about it. So with that said, Ben, the coaching candidates, when you look at the guys they've talked to, the eight of them, I asked you last week, do you think the coach comes from that pool? Uh, is that still the case? Or do you think that there could be somebody introduced with the GM hire that wasn't from the previous interview list? Um, I, I think it's possible that you see somebody introduced, but I still think, you know, D'Amico Ryan's name is going to come up a lot because of the fact that he worked with Kwesi Adolfo Mensa in San Francisco. Um, I think Kevin O'Connell is going to come up for the same reasons, uh, the connections they have there. Um, I think they want somebody that is charismatic. I mean, yeah. this sort of culture shift they're talking about is I think one of the things they're going to look for in a head coach, not just 
kind of how their decision-making process works is how do you get that locker room to follow you? That, I mean, that's a lot of the process here. So I think, you know, you, you could see probably another name or two. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens, but I, I also know they have liked some of the types of leaders that they have brought in for interviews. I, I've heard good things about Dan Quinn and how that went. Jonathan Gannon, who worked on Mike Zimmer's staff. Um, Nathaniel Hackett, I think they're they're going to be high on him, uh, although they may have competition for him if Denver is trying to make uh, their entire front office a big, um, hey, Aaron, uh, welcome to town sort of you know, blinking neon sign. Um, it, you know, so I, I think some of those candidates are going to still be pretty strong players. Raheem Morris probably stays in the mix as well. And I've heard they like Todd Bowles. I know people get mad when I say that, but I have heard that they were impressed with Todd Bowles the first time around. Uh, they talked to Todd Bowles the, when they hired Mike Zimmer. Uh, Todd Bowles is the last sort of descend into the Bill Parcells tree. Um, again, roll your eyes if you like, but I think some of that context matters given who's making these decisions. So uh, we could see others get added to the list, but I, I think a lot of the candidates we've seen are, are people they're pretty serious about. Yeah, Jonathan Gannon is interesting to me and, and D'Amico Ryans as well, two younger guys who might be a little early in the cycle in terms yeah. of getting some of their first coaching interviews. I don't believe anybody's talked to D'Amico Ryans other than the Vikings and Gannon has gotten a few interviews, but it's still after one year as yeah. the Eagles defensive coordinator. But those are both guys who come from franchises that from the top down have a similar kind of open-mindedness yes. of like, hey, we're not just going to be scouting grinders who, who, you know, chew nails and watch film in their sleep. We're going to be looking for, you know, innovative ways to win, yeah. find winning <laughs> ways in the margin. so different. It is. It really is. It's so different. So different. And I do like, I, 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 somebody had brought up to me the other day, they were like, didn't Rick kind of fancy himself an analytics guy? I was like, yeah, but you know, in the way that the Geico caveman might, I just think it was, yeah. it was just a little different. Like, don't get me wrong. He'd be propped up the algorithms. He, he walked us through a lot of the very extensive um, uh, ways that other people had set up their departments and trying to figure out, ways to find winning in the margins of these things. But when it came to a lot of it, Rick would just boil it down and say, I don't care about, you know, the numbers, just give me a player. Like that's just yeah. kind of how Rick thought he wanted to be on the road scouting. He wanted to be a pro days. He wanted to do the grinding stuff that you always did as a scout. And I'm not saying that's the wrong way to do it, but if that's the only way to do it, I think you're seeing other NFL teams say, Hey, we see baseball. We see even hockey. There are yeah. other sports that are more ahead on like you can embrace some of this numbers stuff and try to learn from it and yeah. try to learn from all this data collection we're doing, especially now with the advent of GPS data on these jerseys over the past however many years. Um, there's so much tracking data in the NFL that's available that wasn't years ago. And some coaches just prefer to not use that, yeah. that data at all or general managers for that. Well, instance. I mean, think about what's happened in the NBA when, when this has become a bigger part of the process, just in terms of which shots are efficient. I mean, the corner three is as big of a part of the modern NBA game as it is because of data that shows that for the number of the percentage of time you make them and the number of points it's worth is the best shot on the court. If you can't dunk it and have it be high percentage, uh, you, your corner three is going to be as good of a option as, as you have. And, and you, I think you see things 
with baseball, probably some of the aesthetic things that have changed with baseball make it a little harder to watch. Um, you, you know, people lament kind of the loss of the mid-range game in the NBA, and probably with baseball, it's trying to move runners over, although we saw enough of that with the Ron Gardenhire twins to not miss that too much. But, um, yeah, a lot of these things end up probably having a little bit of an, an unintended consequence, but you do see – the way the game gets played and coached change with managers or coaches that embrace this stuff and say, this is the data shows us this is more efficient. And we're already seeing it with fourth downs. I mean, that's probably the biggest area we see it. Teams going for fourth downs more often being more aggressive saying this over the balance of time works. So um, yeah, a little more difficult in the NFL just because everything on a play-by-play basis is a little different, but um, yeah, I I think we're going to see, that trend continue. And then the other thing I'd say here too, is you can draw, I think a through line from Andrew Miller to Quasi Adolfo Mensa. You have Andrew Miller who grew up in the Cleveland, uh, I guess the, the Cleveland guardians now in their front office with Derek Falvey, the twins, um, whatever his title is these days, baseball operations president, I think, um, Mike Chernoff, who's the, the guardians GM now, uh, Chris Antonetti, who's been in Cleveland a long time. Uh, a couple other GMs, I think, have come out of there. Mark Shapiro, of course, was kind of leading that entire process and now is up in, in Toronto, which is where Andrew Miller went with him. So he grew up in a very uh, cutting-edge front office in Cleveland where it's let's bring in all of these sharp thinkers from Ivy League schools and just get them in a room and try to you know kind of hammer things out. And I, I did a profile on Andrew, on Andrew Miller towards the end of the 2020 season. And a lot of what he talked about is that process. Let's get everybody in a room. It does not matter what your title is. It does not matter what your, uh, how many years you've been doing this, whatever you can kind of put on your resume. If you have a good idea, bring it to the table. He talked about how Mark Shapiro would tell him the most important hires I make every year are my interns because they're hungry. They have good ideas. They want to come in and work. They may help us see things a little bit differently. So a lot of the way he leads and a lot, I think a lot of the way he tries to lead is almost to, to, to take a back seat because he talks a lot about, I'm the COO. If I say something, there are going to be political consequences in that room that affect how people may then respond. It's going to be harder to disagree with me because I've put my stance out there and that's going to affect what everybody else thinks. So a lot of what he tries to do, at least as he's talked about it with me, is um, I'm, I'm going to shut up. I'm going to let other people kind of get their ideas out there because it's not about me having my way. It's about where can we get to the best idea? So I think a lot of the things you hear about here in terms of how they want this to work and in terms of Kwesi Adolfo Mensa being the type of candidate that would get a a shake with, uh, you know, not the quote unquote football guy background. You can draw, I think, a line from Andrew Miller to that. I remember being at the combine, I think it would have been 2016. I think it would have been 2016. So it would have been after the 2015 draft when, you know, it seemed like, wow, they really hit out of the park with some of those guys. Um, And I was talking to somebody who used to work analytics. It was like an intern or data guy for the Vikings a few years prior. Sure. And um, I just remember him talking about how Rick kind of really thought he was cutting edge at the time because they had finally kind of pushed the envelope to the point where they were consulting with an Ivy leaguer on building some of these algorithms to get their draft processes more 
kind of spitting out, you know, like an individual number for a guy combining these psychological athletic, all these scores and stuff. And now the guy that he was consulting with is basically running the department. I'm not saying that that's who it was. It wasn't Kwesi at the time, but I'm saying basically they, they used to once consult with Ivy leaguers and then basically just were like, ah, let's just hire one. We're going to bring them in, bring them in and run the place now. And that's just the, it is, it's a marked of sea change in the NFL and, and and a huge kind of shift. And I think the Vikings are really representative of something that, uh, it's kind of a rising tide right now in football, and, and we're going to see it, I think, more and more uh, kind of creeping up because um, it's just hard. You, you can't when the, the when the results speak for themselves in some organizations, it's hard to hard to ignore that for some owners. So, yeah. Um, all right, Ben. Well, okay. what else what else should we talk about here before we before we break? Well, I was just going to say that if this works, um, you'll see a lot of copycats because the NFL, like every other sport, is full of copycats. And if somebody wins big with a data-driven, kind of data-forward approach um, to how they make decisions, you're going to see everybody else say, okay, what do we miss? What do we need to change? Uh, What else do we need to build out? And you're seeing, I think, more teams do this already. But if, if somebody wins really big, like championship big, you are going to see this stuff really take off because I mean, that's, that's where it started to happen in baseball. It was, it was the A's. Yes. But then it was the Red Sox sort of taking a lot of what Billy Bean had been doing in Oakland and using that approach with Theo Epstein and, and Ben Sherrington and all the other Jed Hoyer, all the other guys they've had in that front office um, winning championships. And that, that really was what, just made it grow like wildfire across baseball where just about every team at this point functions that way. I mean, I remember covering the Nats at the time I was in the, uh, on the Nats beat from 2008 to 2011 when Moneyball came out, when the movie came out. And I remember talking to a high ranking Nats official uh, about the movie and, or even the whole trend. And he said, and I quote F Moneyball. So uh, <laughs> you would not see that now. And, and they, a lot of the people with the Nats are still in place and the Nats have a much better analytics department now than they did at the time. And they've of course won a world series um, since then. So it's, it's worked out okay, but um, yeah, there's, there's some of these changes that happen over time because uh, people are successful with them and everybody else wants to copy it. Yeah, it's, changing NFL right now. And it'll be interesting to see who stays and who goes and what kind of teams rise to the top, but the Vikings have a lot of decisions to make moving forward. We will be back talking more about Kwesi Adolfo Mensa and whomever he chooses as the next Vikings head coach. Um, We'll probably end up coming back with another podcast soon after he speaks with local media. And we learn more about who the Vikings just chose to lead the franchise or lead the front office. And then we'll obviously have more at startribune.com. So please make sure to check out all of our work.